You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solar A Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to this episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy. Joining me today is David Leach, as usual. David from ITK, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Giles. I trust all our listeners are well and no special guest today. It's just you and me chatting about uh, all the problems we see out there. Well, indeed. Look, and some good things as well. Um, We did hope to have a special guest today, but they had to bail at the last moment, so that was unfortunate. But look, let's look at some of the positive news of the last week. Um, Last uh, episode, we had a very interesting talk with Audrey Zieberman, the Chief Executive of the Australian Energy Market Operator. That got a lot of listens, and it was gratifying to see someone who at least had a vision of the future and how to get there, don't you think, David? I absolutely do. And one of the things we're going to get to is how the modelling that the AEMO has done is completely different to the modelling that the ESB has done. And uh, of course, ACCC comes out with uh, all sorts of recommendations without doing any modelling. <laughs> well, look, we'll get to that in the past, but we're going to try with the positive stuff at the start. And let's go with the announcement that came out last Friday. Blue Scope Steel, who I have to say is probably one of the recalcitrants in the great energy debate in Australia, both on the carbon price and the renewable energy targets. Well, funnily enough, they contracted a um, major solar farm, or the large part of a major solar farm to be the Findlay Solar Farm to be built in the Riverina of New South Wales to provide at least 20% of their total electricity needs in Australia. And I guess what's interesting about that is that follows the Sun Metals Inc. refinery, which has done something similar but for a third of its electricity needs, and the well-announced plans by Sanjeev Gupta and the Wyala Steel Works and his Laverton Steel um, works in Victoria and in New South Wales to do much the same, although they're planning to go 100%. But David, what, what was your take from the Blue Scope announcement? Uh, 20% of electricity needs, locking in lower prices, etc. Well, there's several messages I'd take from it. One is uh, whatever else you might say about Blue Scope, they're an example of what the market likes to see of just announcing things and actually getting on with them rather than, um, you know, <clears throat> like Mr. Gupta talking about them endlessly without too much actual practical progress. Um, I, I, um, so that's one thing. And secondly, I think there's an absolute um, uh, confirmation and realisation in industrial Australia uh, that the world is changing in electricity and we have to get on with it. And thirdly, I think industrial and corporate Australia is not necessarily all that happy with the, what the services their gentailers have, uh, have been providing for them. We wouldn't need a corporate PPA market if gentailers did their job properly. Well, that's right. Well, so what are we going to see then over the future? Are we going to see more corporates doing this? Are we going to see all that load defecting from the major retailers and eventually going to these people who can provide new services? Does Do the incumbents ever get around to sort of realising, oh, okay, this is where they're heading. Maybe we should um, be offering them something a bit more meaningful and a bit cheaper. Well, Giles, I think the missing piece in this and the piece that is never talked about in these announcements is how the firming's actually done. It's the easy bit of it is to contract, frankly, with a wind or solar farm to get your electricity at 50 or $55 compared to the baseload futures price of $70. That, that's easy. The uh, question is how you get your uh, gentailer to agree to keep giving you the electricity at uh, peak demand times at the, so that you're, you're not disadvantaged. And 
that's something I expect we, we that there's a whole emerging uh, group of consultants that are that are building up services to help provide that and uh, do more intermediation. So we're at once seeing disintermediation, getting rid of the gentailers, and then kind of re-intermediation as project-specific or corporate-specific um, uh, firms step in to, to negotiate essentially uh, uh, virtual contracts, virtual power plant contracts for that corporate well, that'll be interesting. We'll probably get back um, onto a little bit of that firming uh, outlook with our discussion on the Energy Security Board's latest version of the NEG. Um, before we move there, though, let's talk about another solar plant, New Energy Solar, which is this listed company. And it's an Australian company, Solar Investor, which invested basically largely on the US market. Um, now it's bought two solar farms. It uh, previously bought the Minildra Solar Farm from First Solar. Now it has bought or agreed to buy the Beryl Solar Project in uh, western New South Wales, just west of Galgong. The interesting thing about this one is that it is also contracted uh, about just over two thirds to the New South Wales government's Northwest Metro train line, which is in Sydney. The curious thing about this one is that the New South Wales government didn't want to make a big deal out of it. They they didn't choose to announce it when the financing for Beryl Solar Farm was announced a couple of months ago, and they just basically sort of put the announcement, buried it on some obscure web page two weeks ago, and the confirmation actually came out when uh, New Energy Solar put its hand up and said, I, we've bought it, and um, and this is why, because it's got a 15-year contract. But um, interesting stuff, and, and, and just underpins the um, the need for the corporate customers to underpin those projects. Giles, I think uh, New Energy Solar and its investors have done a fantastic deal there. A 15-year contract with the New South Wales government is, is a, a prize, you know, that's very hard to get hold of in this market. Um, you think how tough the competition for the VRET in Victoria is going to be, and I am betting you those projects down there are not financed on yields, five-year yields of 8%. Uh, I, I just think uh, you, I'm surprised First Solar uh, was prepared to sell the project for, for that kind of uh, yield to the buyer. It's, it's, it looks like a fantastic deal. And, and, and it's interesting too, um, so they've got two-thirds contracted to the New South Wales government, that means they get to play with the other third um, that'll either be more PPA pro, um, contracts or possibly even a venture into battery storage or going merchant. But I guess that'll be something that they'll decide upon later on when the solar plant comes to fruition in the middle of next year and there may be a bit more clarity about the policies going forward in the general environment. David, we've been inundated with major reports over the last couple of weeks. One we didn't get to last week because we were discussing with Audrey Zieberman from AEMO was the ACCC report. Uh, this is the one from Rod Sims. It was about 400 and something pages. It basically summed up what we knew, which is that consumers are getting ripped off left, right and centre from networks, retail, wholesale. Um, that's been pretty obvious for most people for the while. Were you impressed with what it proposed as the solutions? No, I wasn't. I really wasn't impressed with the ACCC report at all. I was impressed with their ability to get uh, information. And that's what I think with this electricity report and also with the earlier gas 
uh, investigation, they worked out that Bass Strait was running out of gas. Now, that, that was very helpful information. Didn't uh, we know that sort of stuff? <laughs> well, it's always interesting to have it confirmed officially. You'd have your suspicions. And similarly, in this report, they did do a great job on getting out the actual coal costs of New South Wales generators over the last few years and being able to compare them with spot prices. And that's very hard to get and very useful information. Uh, but in terms of their recommendations and their ideas of what the electricity price should be and having the government come in and back uh, provide, uh, you, you, you know, uh, for only firm in contracts, uh, this, this, and, you know, their estimate of what the gas prices costs should be uh, and what the electricity costs should be, I think it's all a bit silly. And if we go on and look at this latest ESB uh, report, which we're going to in a minute, this draft report from the ESB, we're going to see their electricity prices, uh, uh, um, some would argue, are very optimistic as well. <laughs> Yeah, look, there was two probably insignificant announcements from the ACCC. Well, there was a couple of different... I mean, they had 56 recommendations um, in all, I think, which is one short of what Adam Finkel had. So they, you think they would have tried to beat him, but maybe out of deference to the chief scientist. But look, um, there was four that were probably of really great interest. One was suggesting network write-downs, which I'm not too sure is going to happen. That can probably really only happen with the state governments. I mean, quick... that's, that's laughable, right? I mean, no privately owned network is going to write down its value. And no state government is suddenly going to turn around. The state government still owns uh, in New South Wales uh, uh, half the networks, more or less, and in Queensland it owns 100%. They're not suddenly going to turn around and write down their value, and, and arguably that they wouldn't even be legally... They'd have an obligation not to do that. It's just a ridiculous suggestion. It's a, you know, Rod... Rod, Rod I, I hate to say it, but Rod St Sims is, you know... Uh, I, I can't think of the right word, but if I did, it'd probably be smoking really something. No, no, not smoking something. <laughs> I was going to think of something more uh, personal, but anyway. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. Um, the um, another suggestion was this idea of having a. Um, a tender for, as you say, sort of firm generation. Now, it's not exactly clear. The Nationals came running out of that, and the, some of the Liberals did too, saying, oh, well, this will be coal-fired generation. Rod Sims tried to play that down, but for the life of me, I can't actually understand when that would occur, how that would occur, how that would apply with NEG. Um, I did get some feedback from some renewable energy developers who were suggesting that, look, that could favour them, but I suppose it all depends when and how um, it's cut and when it's done. Um, I guess for... You know, we did talk about the Beryl Solar Farm and getting 15-year contract with the PP, with PPA. I guess we saw with Blue Scope that was only a seven-year PPA, and I guess some of the problems is that with corporates it tends to be three or five or seven years. So maybe this sort of fills in the gap. But um, still, so, so I, I, I agree with that idea. Basically, if it was more thought out and planned. In fact, I've I've previously argued myself that the CEFC could be a vehicle to. Um, organize a planned build of new supply not not to keep old old coal-fired stations going but to get new supply into the market on a planned basis uh, because and i do believe that uh, for renewable energy um, that the cost of capital is an absolutely vital ingredient it's much more important the cost of capital uh, to the electricity price you need for a wind or a solar plant than it is for a coal plant because in the coal plant if you the coal price there's a lot of uh, cost uh, in the future whereas um, all of the cost is up front uh, for for a wind and solar plant and therefore the cost of capital is vitally important and having a long-term government PPA is very helpful in that regard having a thought bubble about having firmed energy being able to get 
uh, five years worth of contracts at such and such a dreamed up price uh, is 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 that is not the way to do it. You know? <laughs> Fair enough. And look, the um, one of the other recommendations was uh, a um, an abrupt end to the uh, rooftop solar subsidy in 2021, which of course has upset the solar industry, um, mainly because they've kind of been through this before. This um, upfront payment, this upfront rebate, is being phased out um, over 10 or 12 years. Um, I would argue that. Uh, it should stay mainly because some of the people who are missing out on solar now, namely the renters, the apartment dwellers and the lower income households, probably would depend on having these sort of rebates still in existence, mainly because some of those packages which will unlock the potential for to have rooftop solar uh, for those uh, constituents um, would benefit from having the um, from the, having that front rebate. So maybe what was needed was a bit more discussion about what to do with that solar um, subsidy rather than just sort of saying let's get rid of it completely and um, interesting. So, to... so, so again Giles I, this is where Rod Sims seems to have been working in complete isolation and, and in fact I, I I'm in, am fairly critical of the different uh, approaches being taken by say AEMO with the ISP, the ACCC uh, and the ESB. Last week we had the um, uh, integrated system plan that carefully pointed out based on extremely extensive modeling that a future with lots of behind the meter um, uh, generation and storage had four billion dollars worth of savings compared to a system that didn't have that and you know any discussion of the subsidies needs to take look into that four billions worth of savings some of which would certainly go to the people uh, maybe not a fair share, but some of which would go to the people that don't have rooftop solar and are unlikely to have it at the, at the moment. In fact, I think there needs to be some thought to how we could incentivise uh, batteries behind the meter uh, because the overall, it will produce an overall system benefit. Well, that's right, and these benefits are often forgotten, and certainly there's no mention of it in the ACCC report. Just out of curiosity, we did ask the ACCC if Rod Sims had installed rooftop solar and when, um, and we eventually, after insisting several times and not being given an answer, um, we were told that he has not yet installed rooftop solar, but intends to do so very soon. So perhaps he'd like to sort of cash in on that subsidy while it's still available. And Giles, I, I went uh, to an Energy Networks AEMO day today where they discussed, uh, this is, a, you know, they're gung-ho about AEMO and the networks getting control of everyone's solar panels um, uh, in, in, in consumers' best interests, of course, not because it would benefit anyone else. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. The networks have never done, have never operated otherwise. And I sat around at a table with half a dozen uh, very smart people, and they were very smart, and um, uh, asked them how many had rooftop solar. And, of course, none of them did, but they're perfectly happy to make decisions as a group on the solar industry's behalf. So it's nice that that's happening, isn't it? Oh, good grief. My oh, dear. Look, let's finish off with the Energy security. Um, Energy Security Board. Um, this is the latest document coming out of the ESB. Now, extraordinarily, it's called the Decisions Paper for the National Energy Guarantee. It comes ahead of the August 10 meeting of COAG. It has been distributed to the state and territory ministers. Um, extraordinarily, we got a copy of it, and copies seem to be flying around everywhere. The ESB, um, playing in the sort of the mysterious way they've been playing ever since they sort of first emerged. Um, nearly a year ago now, refused to confirm or deny the existence of this report. 
Um, I particularly asked, well, maybe it was produced by um, someone in the warehouse in India, and they giggled and uh, said, no, nope, but we can't confirm anything about it because we had lots of questions about some of the details. Could you confirm this? Could you confirm that? If you've done modelling on this, have you done modelling on that? Can't confirm or deny the existence of the report. But uh, look, um, two things came out of that for me, uh, David, was one, the new modelling that appears to have been done, which just confirms the big price reductions that can be expected from renewable energy. And I think this is an important thing to note. Even You're going to question the actual extent of their modelling and the detail of it. But the overall theme about a reduction in prices is important because we keep on hearing in the general discourse that, well, we were promised price cuts with renewables. They've never happened, so obviously they didn't work. I think the point that the ESB is making with this modelling is that most of that renewable energy generation that had been planned for the renewable energy target is only now coming onto the market, so we haven't actually seen the benefit of those price reductions, but we will very shortly. I guess the big question is to what extent and to what extent the NEG could or could not um, deliver further reductions over the next decade. Look, Giles, I find this is only a draft report and I think it's extremely important to stress that because if it's the real thing, uh, it looks like the ESB um, has gone backwards in the past couple of months. Very, um, Although there are some policy changes which people can support, such as allowing for overachievement and green power, uh, the ASIL modelling results, as reported in here, seem to me to be completely nutty. They talk, I mean, let's, they, for instance, they talk about a 38 million tonne, uh, and it must be a typo, reduction in carbon from 2020 with the guarantee, uh, compared to no guarantee situation. Well, 38 million tonnes is a ridiculous amount, and I think if you looked at the graph that accompanies it, they really mean about 3.8 million tonnes. Um, they talk about, under with the no neg situation, that uh, the only generation, as far as I can see, from new generation built between 2024 and 2030 is rooftop solar, if I'm reading, reading the graph right, uh, which seems absolutely crazy to me. Uh, they have a, a graph in there that shows electricity prices without the guarantee going down in 2021 to $45. Uh, which and that, which is actually well below where the um, baseload futures chart is. And in fact, their own baseload futures chart doesn't seem to correspond with the prices I look at every day on the ASX website. So uh, I just, um, I don't like to be too critical, although it's fun, uh, but I certainly would look forward to seeing the final version of this document because I think uh, this draft one is going to have a lot of the serious analysts uh, scratching their head. Yes, well, I look, I think the details in any case are going to be having people scratching their head whatever they come up with the end, and it's all going to be about politics in the end. Um, I'm not too sure it is a draft. I can't see draft written on it. It seems to be a decisions paper, but look, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and we'll fix up all those typos and those errors and the lack of any wind and solar being built in Victoria and the Queensland targets out from 2020 to 2030, which is another big mystery but um well that's again where i complain can we at least i mean aemo has a model where they incorporate the queensland and victorian targets uh the esb seems to have instructed asil tasman not to include anything more than stage one of those targets i mean this this is just it's we kind of how can you have agreement on a policy when you can't even agree on the basic assumptions <laughs> that's a good and, question and it, go, it, it, it goes further than that i mean 
but but I'll, but I'll leave it there. It's just uh, it's just pointless. And, and oh, that's the point I wanted to make. Sorry, it's a straw man, right? They set up all these things about what's going to happen without the guarantee, uh, without as much as I can see much justification for explaining why that's they will actually happen. So they set up a straw man as to what will happen with the guarantee. And then, the, and then claim that the guarantee will improve things because there'll be more contracting, which is the same old Danny Price argument. And again, I don't find it particularly convincing either. They claim that putting in the um, Snowy 2 will actually increase the generation in the capacity when, of course, it's a net consumer of energy at least. Um, and, and how are you going to get more prices, uh, more capacity built uh, when the electricity price is $35? Um, you know, I know renewables prices are falling fast, but... Uh, I don't see it myself. Yeah. Oh dear, this conversation started so so, so promisingly with Bluescope and the solar project and sort of ends with an ACCC and an ESB report, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> but look, um, the week ahead, um, we'll, we'll probably have another uh, um, podcast before we, we have this next event, but the Clean Energy Council is having its Clean Energy Summit next week. I think that's going to be really interesting to see what the view is amongst the renewable energy industry about whether they should go along with the NEG or whether they rally behind and um, say no. What do you think? Well, um, I know that the Clean Energy Council has been debating the issue fairly heavily and I'm fairly convinced that the attitude of the executives is that it's better to have, it's easier to get the policy, the, the target changed once the policy is in place than it is to proceed with no policy. And I think that's the basic decision that um, everyone ought to think about. But again, and the, and the endorsement of the Clean Energy Council is kind of a big deal for the various state governments. Um, um, on the other hand, um, John Grimes, of course, is, is totally opposed to it, as are his membership. We've heard Roger Price is opposed to it. Uh, I, I'm not convinced that it'll be that easy, but I, I, I do see the point that having a useless neg uh, is something that can maybe be turned into a stronger target. I also see the point that uh, policy, renewable energy policy uh, or emissions reduction policy introduced by a Liberal government is likely to be stronger than emissions uh, reduction policy introduced by a Labor government, which would automatically be opposed by a Liberal government and undone, as we saw before. So the, there are arguments. It's, it's not quite black and white. But I'm sure you and I and anyone else who does modelling properly will agree that the emissions reductions uh, under this policy as it stands are next to nothing. Absolutely. And it's probably worth pointing out too that really the only document that we've seen over the last year and a bit, and for, in fact for probably more than that, that actually does even entertain any further increase in emissions reduction is that AEMO plan, the integrated system plan that we went back, that we mentioned um, before and you've mentioned a couple of times. It did at least consider what would happen if you had another government that actually put the foot in the, well, it didn't put the foot in the accelerator, just actually met its Paris climate um, commitments and um, had the target that was recommended by the Climate Change Authority. And um, for the, it's so frustrating that so many of these other reports don't even contemplate that. Well, you know, the uh, AEMO, as Audrey Siebelman said, within reason, uh, the modelling that they did was essentially just took the announced policies and modelled the outcomes. It didn't have necessarily much of an agenda, whereas, let's face it, as we've, you and I have been saying since the NEG was first uh, 
sort of, it is a political document with an agenda. It really doesn't have consumers. The talk about electricity prices is only there because it's required politically, not because it's what anyone thinks is actually going to happen. David, on that note, I'm going to thank you and um, also thank our sponsors, uh, Solaray Energy and What Watches, and uh, wish you a good rest of this week and to um, everybody out there listening to this podcast. Um, it's been good to chat and uh, we hope to have a guest on with us um, early next week. Well, I've enjoyed this chat, Giles. Uh, I trust listeners have as well and look forward to following the electricity industry on and on. Good on you, David. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solar Ray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatches, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.